0: Welcome to Trending in Education, Mike Palmer. Very happy today to have Dr. Steve Jordan back on the show. Steve is a professor of psychology at the University of Toronto. He's also the director of the Advanced Technologies Lab up there, helping folks figure out how to navigate the complexity of educational technology and online learning We've had him on a couple of times talking about some interesting stuff, including the great snapback, which was our last episode. We'll share that out again as part of this conversation. Today, we're gonna talk more about growth mindset and a little bit more, uh, not just the what or the why, but a little bit more of the how and how to keep it integrated. We're gonna have a really interesting conversation. Steve is now qualified for a refrigerator magnet, which is very exciting. Mm -hmm. Steve, (laughs) welcome back to Trending in Education. Thank you. Let's set the stage with the two previous engagements. So the first time we were getting to know you a little bit, talking about what it's like to be thinking about advanced learning technologies in 2020 into 2021. A lot of people were thinking about online learning in ways they never thought about it before in 2020. Uh, So we got some of Steve's perspective on what that's been like. By no means are we out of the woods on any of that. But then Mm -hmm. your second engagement, we were talking about the more the behavioral psychology aspects of what humans do, how we interact as social beings and how there's going to be some powerful forces that'll be pulling us back to snap back into pre-pandemic behavior patterns. And we had some interesting conversation about that and maybe some notes from you, Steve, about what we want to be careful about. And now we're coming into this phase where we're trying to understand where can we benefit from the pandemic in that our behaviors could change? One of the behaviors that we talk about a lot is growth mindset and uh, learning from failure. That's really going to be the main focus of today's conversation. Can you do just a super quick introduction? Because folks probably are getting to know you now, Steve, uh, and then we can get into some of your thinking around the process around getting better uh, with practice.
1: Yeah, sure. Thank you. Yeah, just to give a sense of of who I am and what I do, I teach intro psych, but I'm, I'm also in a band and I love performing. And so one of the things I realized early on is I like to teach to large classes because you get that whole vibe with a large class if it's going well. But I also was always challenged early on by this concept that large classes are bad classes, that they don't provide rich, deep learning experiences. So really, a lot of my research was aimed at that challenge and saying, well, could we find some really great pedagogical practices? And could we use technology to to find a way to bring those practices to any size lecture hall any size delivery so that's what we do a lot in the advanced learning technologies lab and just to give a little bit of that context in a different way pre-pandemic we were part of the select group of people who were really interested in things like e-learning and digital learning and how could we make how could we build in community how can we build in empathy how can we give students a rich, interactive experience. And then along came the pandemic and we had our sort of forced migration where a lot of traditional instructors suddenly joined our our world. And at that point, yeah, the question was, how well will they immigrate? How how well will they pick up the customs? All the work that's been done to try to make e-learning and digital learning rich and good. Will they learn these things? Will they bring them with them? So that was the sort of great migration. And now we're at this interesting time where people are starting to see a finish line. And so we may get suddenly a mass exodus back to its traditional approaches. Yeah. And the worry of the great snapback that I talk about is all things being equal, if we don't intentionally focus on some things we want to be different going forward, if we wait too long to do that we will go back to old ways, habits yeah. are extremely strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those habits we have built up for decades. So this year of inhibition of, of the habits is not going to overcome the decades of building them. So that's the great snapback. I worry about it in education, I want to see us make a, a step forward, not a snap back to where we were. Yeah, uh, and I think this is the time when we all really need to talk about what does that look like? Right. What is that step forward?
0: Yeah, yeah, it's really, and you've definitely gotten me thinking about it. So thank you for doing that. And I think our, our listeners uh, hopefully are along for the ride in an interesting way. And just as a quick note there, we're going to be talking about feedback. One of the things that uh, we would love to get is more feedback from folks beyond uh, just Mike and Steve we are going to have a really interesting conversation. Anyone who's hearing this, who has some thoughts to share, we would love to get more engagement because I know that's one thing that that you've had success with too, is tapping into the power of peer-to-peer conversations that may not be the, the the sage on the stage. Instead, it's more the guide on the side and or no guide at all and let folks learn uh, from one another. Can you give us a quick note on that too, Steve?
1: Yeah, and this is, uh, I think, a transition that we've been going through for a little bit. We've realized that It's really important that we develop skills in our students, skills like critical thought, creative thought, and communication, interaction, collaboration kinds of skills. These are the things that when they graduate will help them succeed in any um, situation. And one of the jokes I like to tell my students is, you always hear critical thought will help you get that job or help you get that raise. It'll also help you pick that good life partner. Critical thought is really important for a lot of the decisions we make and getting them right. Now, the thing with skills, and we'll probably come back to this a few times, is think of playing guitar, think of dancing, think of any skill that's out there. Why aren't we all like multi-instrumentalists or whatever? Because skills are are hard to develop and they only develop through use. And often they start by being not very good. Mm -hmm. So if we want our students to develop these skills, we have to get them using them and they're not gonna use them if we're just talking at them. If we're just presenting stuff to them, then it's awful hard to get them really using them. So I'm I'm a fan of process and approaches that ask students to engage these skills in structured ways, in formal ways, mm-hmm. that will really give them the practice, almost like a formal, if you're to play basketball, you'd go to some formal training program yes. where, you, where they drill skills in mm-hmm. isolation or combination. Can we do that for critical thinking, creative thinking and communication? And can we do it at the scale we need for current institutions? I think, we can and that's really been a lot of the work i've been doing is to try to crack that nut as well as i can and i think we've come pretty far
0: yeah yeah and the uh, the related idea so there's skill sets and there's also mindsets and yeah. and the the mindset of all mindsets our our collective guru is carol dweck who a shout out to to carol dweck uh, i'm a huge Carol Dweck fan. The growth mindset was uh, really a paradigm shift for many of us in terms of how we think about how humans grow and develop and how we should interact uh, and think about ourselves, think about each other. You've spent a lot of time thinking about it. Maybe you could catch us up on what growth mindset is uh, in case folks are, are less familiar. But then the really interesting thing, Steve, is that I think you've made it more concrete and applied in terms of here's some tactics, here's some ways of operating, ways of structuring your interactions that will help all of us get better at at genuinely growing. Can you talk us through some of your thinking on the growth mindset?
1: Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah. The first thing is, like you said, it's a great concept. It makes a lot of sense to a lot of instructors. So the idea is that sometimes students get stuck in what Carol would call a fixed mindset, which is most, most commonly voiced as, I can't do that. I can't learn physics. I can't learn math. Often it's the STEM disciplines we imagine as the ones challenging us in that way. But once you come into that notion of something that you just cannot do, well, that's your, it's going to be a huge impediment to you ever getting across. So Carol was big on, we have to really, in our institutions, in the way we speak, in the way we write our, our textbooks, and in every interaction with the student, we have to be exuding a belief that whatever it is with it with a proper sort of training and effort that you can grow that you can improve and that anytime you see things like failures They want to be translated into an opportunity for growth. So Mm -hmm. we want all of our students to constantly thinking, how can I get better? How can I grow? And that's the growth mindset. It's a beautiful concept. I I agree we want it. My disagreement with Carol is only this. It's not natural. It's not easy. And I don't think it can be fostered simply by context. Mm -hmm. I think we as instructors, I think it's critical and it's important and we need to teach it but we need to get very explicit and and thoughtful about how to teach it because there's a villain and -hmm. it's the villain that carol doesn't mention that i think we need to expose first yeah Um, that villain is what some people call our reptilian brain it's the most ancient part of our brain that has evolved for decades and one of the very basic things it does to keep us alive is if it thinks we are a weakness is being exposed or a threat is in the environment it immediately kicks us into fight or flight mode. Uh, It makes us want to escape that threat or go and attack it. And so imagine a student, the typical growth mindset situation is, oh, we've given them feedback. We've looked at their work. We found areas where they could improve. That's the nice way of saying it. And we give that back to the student and say, here's things you can be working on. To the student, it's here's things you're not good at. And yeah, you either want to say, I don't want to hear this. I don't want you pointing out my flaws. And in fact, about 50% of students do not read the comments that instructors put on their work. And those that do are often looking for something they can challenge. For those of you
0: who can't see me, I was putting up my Dukes briefly <laughs> to signal an inherent uh, defensiveness that, that I have had over the years. It's, it's always an interesting uh, conversation when you're told that you're not good at taking feedback. But I think there is an element of vulnerability that keeps coming back up these days where building enough psychological safety so that you can curb that reptile brain, that yeah. fight or flight response and realize both in the abstract that I'll get better by accepting this and growing through this vulnerability, but also in the genuine, even physiological response to the criticism, it's almost like a biofeedback thing. You have to learn to adjust some of your responses to go against your yeah. natural instincts.
1: You have to, first of all, learn to recognize that fight. Just a common example, when we're playing in the band as a bunch of musicians, you'll be tempted every now and then as a musician to tell the other musician, you're playing a little too much there or you're you're not quite hitting the beat the same way. And we know when we do that, first of all, if you're the one giving that feedback, you know to do it very carefully because you can sense the danger, the the threat of just annoying this other person. Yeah. And and they themselves have to get good at that first reaction of F you, fight back and to say, no, no, okay, I recognize that as this reptilian part of me speaking, Yeah. but let me think about it. And so there's this interaction between our conscious mind, our frontal lobes, which which is what we use with our words and when speaking with each other, and and the more emotional primitive side of us, and and getting a message from the frontal lobes to the primitive side, and, and exactly as you say, learning to be aware that this is a reaction, and how to then negotiate and get to the information Around the so so, I sometimes say the emotion is like a bouncer in front of the door to learning, and they're standing there. And yeah. if you pound on the bouncer or whatever, you're never going to get in. You have yeah. to acknowledge that the bouncer is there, and and then you can sometimes gently push the bouncer aside right. Right. and get to the stuff you want to get to. But that is something people have to learn, mm-hmm. and that's where I think we need to think seriously about how to take them on that journey, how to give them the experiences they have as students to do exactly what we're talking about, recognize yep. the reaction, uh, and then find a way to negotiate to, to actually reach the level of personal growth.
0: Yeah. A couple things uh, jump to mind. One is the idea that as parents, and I imagine as educators, we should avoid telling people they're smart. And I will, truth be told, my two-year-old, when he's smart, I like to say, smart. And point in my head, oh, you know what? You're smart. I, I, sorry, Carol. I, I still think it's okay to do that from time to time. But I think there is a risk that you overlook the fact that there's hard work and you're not always going to get it. You're not always, in fact, the kids who are not correct when they're offering an answer in some ways are demonstrating more of the courage and more of the modeling of the type of behavior that's necessary to learn than the kids who don't. I always quote Nelson Mandela who said, I never lose, I either learn uh, or win. But So that's the first thought. And then the second one is when giving feedback, I have heard the idea of the compliment sandwich where you start with something positive, then you give the actual critical feedback and then you close with something nice so that people feel okay about it. What are your thoughts about some of these things? Both the idea of talking about hard work as almost as important or more important than being smart to begin with. Mm -hmm. And then, and then the related one I think is more, or maybe it's unrelated, but just the idea of the compliment sandwich I thought uh, was interesting.
1: No, Let's tie the two of these together, because if we start thinking of, okay, so what is this optimal process? It's always great to talk about these things abstractly. I, I sometimes joke, by the way, our lab, just to lead into this. When we started, I used to say, there's all these educational gurus that are pointing to this beautiful heaven of what education should look like. And what always frustrated me when I heard them is, is I heard what heaven looked like. I never heard how to get there. And so I sometimes say our lab is trying to build the stairways to heaven, a jokey thing. Oh, it's a rock and yeah, roll yeah.
0: reference though, very well right, done. Anyway,
1: yeah, I'll sneak that in there. But really I am cursed as a concrete thinker. I, I cannot live in the abstract world long. And I wanna say, okay, how do we do that? And so if we want students to, ultimately learn how to embrace critical feedback and learn from it. I think you've hit on step one that I always argue, let's begin them in the process of giving feedback to others. Mm -hmm. And let's introduce the challenge of feedback to them then when it's not personal, Mm -hmm. when it's like, hey, you're going to give feedback to this other person. And let's talk to you about The reaction they might have if you don't if you're not careful and so we everything we just talked about the villain and the reptilian brain a tell students make them understand that there's this villain lurking out there Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. then have them play the role of with the best intentions, seeing the work of their peers, and this can be done anonymously, which is optimal. We can talk about some of these things as we go, but seeing work that their peers have done. And then with the best of intentions, trying to give each peer some advice about how they think the work can be improved. So we're gonna put them in this constructive feedback situation. But again, we're going to let them know, hey, this is tricky. So things like your positive, negative, positive sandwich. The reason we're doing that is, is to try to, first of all, make the person want to listen. If we start negative right away, that reptilian brain's going to yeah. come and they're going to run away. So if, if you make them like you, maybe they'll stick with you. Right. Then right. they get through the negative. Will they bail on you then? Possibly. But if, if you at least finish positive, then they might like you again and they might take the time to think about what you said. But when you talk about students, what, what I think of the value of that of giving the feedback and having them do this repeatedly and and see the challenge involved in that is because then we can put them on the other side and they have the experience that they're they're going to be digesting feedback now, but they know that those people, they've been in those people's shoes and and they know their intentionality, what they're trying to do, and they know the challenge those people face in doing it. Uh, And I think that's step one is, Mm -hmm. is to get that and have students giving feedback. I would say both the constructive, and it's okay to highlight things people are doing well as well. Right. And that's a good thing to do as well. But yeah, it's the, the constructive that's the challenging for sure.
0: Yeah. And it does tie to building that culture of psychological safety to begin yes. with, where if you're in a toxic environment and there's already mistrust and a fight or flight might actually be the correct yeah. tactics in a more mercenary Doggy dog environment, and having the EQ and situational awareness to understand when it actually is advantageous to be a little more vulnerable, to me, it, it's a little bit reminiscent of the idea of good team dynamics, where when a team trusts each other, they yep. realize it's not a zero-sum game, that you can actually make mm-hmm. others better. And the related notion from uh, my time in the private sector is the idea of a 360 review Mm -hmm. where rather than being evaluated by someone who is higher up in the hierarchy, your manager, your boss, the 360 review, which has become more, more popular and tactics like it, Mm -hmm. get feedback across the entire spectrum of your group. And what i found in those experiences is lots of times the feedback from my peers people I thought of as my peers was was more instructive than the feedback I got from my manager because we all see things from different yeah. perspectives.
1: There, there's there's an interesting concept just generally called peer learning, which is very powerful. And, and you throw it out there because it connects with what you're saying. So the, the idea is this, in the formal approach, I'm trying to bring to mind the, the name of the, the guy, it'll, it'll come to mind, yeah. tip of the tongue phenomenon. But in, in his formal approach, he had all these physics problems. And when he taught, say, ballistics, he did a course on ballistics, he would have this problem that he knew, after I teach this, about 50% or less of my students will really know the right answer. And so he would throw that question Question up, and he would have with response devices, he would ask his students, What's the right answer? and they and he would find a level, and he liked, I think, 40 to 50 percent. And then he would do just this he would say, Okay, we're gonna spend five minutes, form little groups of the people around you and talk about that problem. And that's all I want you to do. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of that five minutes, he put the problem back up and he said, So what's the right answer? And they're at about 95% accurate. So something happened in those five minutes that that brought that up. Mm-hmm. And his argument is there's something called the curse of knowledge that once you know something and you've known it for a long time. It's just obvious to you. And, and if you're the teacher and you're trying to present something that's obvious and it's not obvious to the other person, sometimes that gap can be a hard one to cross. Hmm. But if you're a peer who's just crossed it, Mm -hmm. you just went from, oh, I got it. You might be in a better position. And so when they form those groups, those students who understand will tend to dominate the conversation because they can justify why they think this is the right answer. And they can bring the other students along with them in a Mm -hmm. way that maybe an instructor can't. Mm -hmm. So there's certainly a a shared perspective, a shared point in the learning process. If we think of Vygotsky, they're they're within each other's zone of proximal development, so to speak, Mm -hmm. where the instructor might be talking outside of that. And so, yeah, peers have a lot of power. And that's a big thing for me. Let let me go here for a second. When I think back to the traditional classroom, and I think a student was given a a task and they responded to that task. Now their response goes to the instructor and goes back to them. And that's the whole world as they know it. Despite Mm -hmm. the fact that there's a bunch of other exemplars um, of other people who've done the same task that they could learn all sorts of things from, but we don't show them that work. And that's part of that was because of social issues and et cetera. But with technology, which we'll probably talk about sometime, you can have this all happen in an anonymous way. So that keeps that safety that you're describing. And it also keeps the focus. The really nice thing about anonymous assessment is gender biases or cultural biases just can't play out. All is the person's work and so it really creates a situation where it's really okay take that look at that work how can it be better and when we think of that step where where a student is giving feedback to peers and we go back to that skills thing i talked about how do you do that if i, if I show you a peer's work and i say Think of all the ways this work can be better and then highlight the one thing this person should change Mm -hmm. and give them some direction about how to do that, some actionable feedback. What do you have to do? You have to use receptive communication to read what they're saying combined with critical thought. Am I buying this all the way? Where are the weaknesses in the argument? More critical thought to find the biggest weakness. Then creative thought to think, okay, how should they fix this? Yeah. And then expressive communication to express that all to the student. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that one question exercises those things in a really nice way. And if they're now asked to do that for, say, five peers, mm-hmm. they're getting this repeated. So they're going to exercise them all again in a new way context of your work and then do it again in a new con. And if that starts to sound like basketball training, Mm -hmm. it's what it is. Exercise these skills and then do it again and do it again from a different position, from a slightly different perspective. That's how we enhance the skills. So we're both teaching them about feedback and moving them that first step towards the growth mindset But as we do so, we're exercising all these transversal skills Mm -hmm. in a very structured way, and that's going to help them to develop. And a lot of our research shows that does have a clear impact on people's critical thinking and their metacognition, which is really cool.
0: Yeah, it's very cool. And it immediately makes me think about the future of work, which is another concept uh, that we wind up hitting all the time when we're trying to think about trends in education, where the world is heading. And a lot of the, the future work place that we are imagining requires more of the collaborative exchanges where you are giving feedback, where you are emotionally sensitive and present and authentic in a way that makes you someone who makes your teammates better. Those are the people who tend to thrive in the emerging workplace and increasingly the the command and control structures that were part of the way we thought about management and hierarchy and the workplace of the past are going away. Can you talk a bit about that? How the mission of educators isn't purely to teach the content uh, of the curriculum, but it's also to help train and develop humans who will have effective lives and careers. Uh, you mentioned choose good life partners, do all the things that they need to do to thrive in the world uh, we're living in.
1: Yeah, and, and I think that's been the great challenge because we're very good Formal Educational institutions are very good at transmitting knowledge. We've done that for for years and we got that game pretty well down. But we live in a world where it might be a student's skills that are more important to their success than their knowledge. I I say things like, you can learn a lot about a guitar in a good hour lecture. They can give you all sorts of information you can pick up very easily. If you want to learn how to play guitar, it's not so easy. requires that repeated structured practice. And I think for a lot of educators is how do we do that? We're used to just informally provoking critical thought. We throw something out there and we hope students will leave our class and think about it. The good ones will. But the ones that most need the work on their critical thinking probably won't naturally. Mm -hmm. But if we put them into a context where we say, you must, here's some peers idea, you must think critically, you must give them advice. And we make that a regular part of the curriculum that they see in many different course contexts Mm -hmm. uh, as they go through. That's how Jimi Hendrix plays guitar as though he was born doing it. Mm -hmm. Uh, He wasn't born doing it, but with enough practice across a bunch of contexts, an unnatural skill becomes natural, so-called And I think that is now an important part for our uh, institutions is how to give students that sort of structured practice. And that's where the mindset thing and the work teaching to work kind of thing come together because I think the same process magically Hits both of those things uh, on the head, which is cool. Can we go to the next step of the process? Please. So let's just imagine we've started, we've taken students, they've they've all done some work for first, and, and now we've had them giving each other a feedback in the second step. Now, the third step is where we really hit the growth mindset because what's going to happen in the third step is they are going to see the feedback that a bunch of peers gave to their work. Now, a bunch of cool things with this. One of them is you have these reconceptions about traditional education, When you get feedback from an instructor, your assumption is that instructor knows this way better than I do. They're maybe even smarter than I am or whatnot. So whatever they say, I guess I should just do. That is not really a growth mindset. That's a herd mentality mindset. The great thing about peer feedback is we can say to students, you know what, some of your peers really know what they're talking about, some not so much. And so the goal here is not just do what they say, it's think about what they say think about it deeply consider revising your work as they suggest and then you opt, opt uh, make the choice of whether you want to do that or not and once again we have to structure this so this is where the villain shows up if we just show them the feedback they will fight or flight we have to let them know again this is your natural reaction And then literally force them to engage. And what I like to do is say, okay, here's your feedback from your first peer. I'm going to ask you some questions about that feedback. And so we can ask very targeted questions that make them engage, make them think the way we want to think. It could be as simple as this person has told you a way to improve. If you did what they said, how much better do you think your work would be from not much better at all? to a whole lot better in order to do that, you have to think, okay, what are they saying? What are they suggesting? How would I change my work? So again, critical thought, receptive communication, creative thought, Mm -hmm. all of that coming into play. And then they end up saying, okay, I really understood what peer one said. Yeah. And then they do it with peer two and then they do it with peer three repeated structured practice that I love uh, now in a different context. And then critically we say, okay, here is your first draft. You've had, say, five peers give you suggestions for improvement, some of which were good, some maybe not so good. Go ahead. This is your chance to go ahead and make it better. Your instructor will grade the final product that you produced. Um, Now we are rewarding and we're asking them to put that growth mindset into action right away. You've had all this advice now go ahead and make your work better. And so that has to be part of things. We can't say have a growth mindset, but don't give people a chance to revise because that's where they, they imply the growth. And when they do that, all of our research shows there's two things they love about the process. And this is one of the great things, students want more of this. And and they love seeing the work of their peers. They find great value in that. They say, it really lets me know where I sit. Yeah, And they love when they get to that step and they've revised their work and they look at it and they say, well, it's better. Yeah. I'm gonna get a better mark. But This was a lot of work to go through this whole process. And they they admit that I did a lot of thinking. I did a lot, that's what we want. That's what it was created for. Yeah. Um, but they see the value and they want more of it and more of their classes and and i think by going through that really teaching them to analyze the feedback scaffold that really well so they can't flee and then having them do the revision and become rewarded for it feel the reward for that right away Mm -hmm. if we can do that and then do that over and over again in as many class contexts as possible I think that develops the growth mindset and, and a byproduct along the way is all of that exercise with these transversal skills that makes them much more job ready. So yeah. I think it hits those two things at once and, and that's one of the reasons I'm so excited about it.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. And it you know made me think of the, the idea of metacognition as well, like thinking about thinking. Uh, and in this case, it's like metacognition about your emotional state, which is really important because if you're not aware of it, You're not going to be able to, and control is a strong word. That reptile brain is part of who we are. So reach an uneasy alignment, at least, or hopefully a healthy alignment with your more base instincts. And then also, I imagine they're getting evaluated, not just on their finished product, but also on their feedback skills, both giving feedback and receiving feedback, because that is a place where, uh, getting back to my awkward coaching session Yep. I have gotten better at feedback and there's a skill to even seeking it out, yep. asking for it. And frequently that begins by having that eureka moment where you're like, wow, I got feedback and it actually made me better yep. and I can let go of some of that initial fear. But to me, it's it, it comes back to this foundational. Let me take a step back from the heat of the moment and just reflect a little bit on how I'm thinking and feeling in the goal of ultimately getting better at this stuff.
1: hundred percent. So let me give you the example I love to give to students of what we typically do and what we should do. And the example is this, let's say there's this job you really want and you have an interview to get that job. So first of all, for me as an educator, this is my new measuring stick. I don't care about standardized test scores or whatever. I feel like I've done a good job for my students. If, if they can go into that interview and win it mm-hmm. because they have the ability to, to speak and interact with others, think critically and creatively. That's what wins you an interview. But let's say you don't win it. You get that email we all get. There's lots of great competitors and blah, yeah, blah, blah yeah. for applying. And it says nothing. these people have formally assessed you. There was probably a structured interview. They compared you to two or three other people. Mm-hmm. And in some ways found you suboptimal. Many of us just leave that. We just step away, but man, there's data right there, man. And and it's data that can help us and it can help us in two ways. If you go back to that company and you say, and this has to be completely honest, I understand. I didn't get that job. No sour grapes. That's gone. hundred percent. It's not about that job anymore. It's about the next job that I'm going to be interviewing for. And and we should talk about this concept called feed forward at, at a moment, but it's about that next job. And what I would really love is, I know you did this formal analysis of me. I would so much appreciate if you could share some of the places where you saw a potential for improvement. Obviously somebody outperformed me in some place. I would really value that. I would appreciate your time for it. I know it's asking for a little effort on your part. If you do that, A, you can get that data and that can be useful to you. And you should. You've earned that data and you shouldn't just leave it sitting on the table and walk away from it. But the other thing is you are displaying to these people a growth mindset yes. you, you are saying i continually want to be better and when that next job comes up they thought of you well enough to interview you for this one yeah and that next job comes up that might be oh remember that kid mm-hmm. that came in and then asked for that i like that they did that and that suddenly gives you a, a, another opportunity you know it is that mindset it is that willingness to say i want you to point out things i don't do well yeah. that is not natural But it's so powerful. And and that's why I think it's worth educators taking the time to really instill this uh, in in our students.
0: Awesome. And also you had me at feed forward. This sounds great. I (laughs) I haven't heard that before, but I imagine it's the flip side of feedback. But please,
1: it's one of these things we might instruct students when they're giving feedback and it's one that acknowledges the villain and it's like this so often and it's almost implied in the word feedback when we're giving people advice we're looking at something they've already done and that's complete and that's sitting there Mm -hmm. and now we're saying here's what's wrong with it yeah and that's hard because there's nothing we can do about it that's there and so we're just taking the arrows in that case Mm -hmm. a feed forward approach is is all about the wording but it's like this, instead of saying, here's what I don't like about what you did, you say, hey, I know you're going to be able to do a revision. Th- these are the aspects of what you did that was really good. But when you're doing your re- revision, here's some things you could think about that might make your revision even better. And so now we're talking about the future is very future oriented. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's something the person can do something about. And it doesn't feel like you're picking apart the previous one, it feels like you're trying to improve a future one.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, and so that concept of let's have students give feed forward, not feedback, I, I think it is a clever one. And it's a good example for showing you want to avoid that little reptilian brain yeah. kind of talk to the frontal lobes. And the frontal lobes is all about planning and future and strategizing. So yeah. when, you, when you use the feed forward lingo, that, that can help a lot. Yeah, I like that a lot. Let's just summarize. The basic idea is, yeah, have students do something but then begin them in the process of giving feedback to others so they can get that perspective on things. And then when they're actually in that situation of receiving the feedback, a scaffold, and make sure you're really structuring it so that they are engaging and they're engaging in the way you want. B, allow them to then use that immediately to improve their work so mm-hmm. that it's not just stuff they learn and walk away from, but it's stuff they learn and use. And I'm yeah. a big fan of that. And by having those sort of steps and, and then being rewarded for ultimately demonstrating the growth mindset for making their work better, yeah. um, that's the, the key process, I think. And the, the cool thing, though, that I would just want to connect it with is as a sort of core of that three stepper. That can now be embedded in all sorts of contexts. So, to get back to a point you've created, so let me first say you, you need technology to support all of this mm-hmm. uh, simply because you're doing anonymous reviews and yep. you're seeing five and handing them back. And so, it's logistically complex. Technology is good at that. But the technologies also allow you to take it to other levels. And so, one example of we, we have something called Peer Scholar we created, and, and our current stuff is a lot around group work, as you suggested, collaboration. And so, imagine that rather than an individual, going through these three steps. You have a group of people who create some group project and you're right, you want to eventually have the 360 on the end to keep everybody engaged and honest, but then they see the work of other groups and their job is as a group to give each other group feedback, mm-hmm. but now they have to talk amongst themselves. What did you guys think of that group's work and, and what should we tell them? And and so now we have the collaboration going on mm-hmm. offline, all this interaction and discussion coming to consensus about what we believe about something. And then ultimately giving feedback and we'll do this for group, yeah, group after group. Yeah. And then in the third step, of course, now we're seeing what other groups thought of ours. Mm-hmm. And so now we're in the growth mindset situation, uh, but now there's four of us in there and saying, what do we think? And so now we're using those sort of social forces to have a a deep collaborative interaction with feedback yeah Uh, and i think that's another step of uh, taking things where you're doing a growth mindset as a group yeah Uh, and i think that's when people really see the value of it as well i think that's the key of having people experience this three-step but it could be in in so many contexts of oral presentations or whatever it is that they're looking at and, and discussing but that process exercises all these skills and promotes this growth mindset
0: awesome yeah, it's great yeah. stuff. We'd love to get more feedback from our listeners. As we're uh, we're bringing this home, because uh, I think this was really useful for me and hopefully it's, it's beneficial to our listeners. It sounds like feedback is genuinely a gift. You can get better at giving and receiving it if you're not thinking about how you can structure that in a way that there is not just uh, top-down feedback, there's mm-hmm. more collaborative peer-to-peer kind of structure. What other concepts, themes, or, or beats do you want to hit as we wrap this up?
1: Yeah, I think if we just step back and now say, okay, that all sounds great, Jordan's. Wow, that sounded complicated, all this stuff going around. And it is at some level. The the good news is this is becoming a very powerful. So this process is called formative peer assessment or formative peer and self-assessment because sometimes we sneak in some self-assessment there as well. And there are now, it's becoming a, a sort of hot space. There are a number of technologies out there. We have one again from our lab that's called Peer Scholar, but it's just one of several. And a lot of these technologies also embed some of the expertise. So what I mean by that is, wow, you're saying you want students to give feedback, but I'm not sure I know how to instruct them, how to give good feedback. Yeah. A lot of these have micro learning built right in, mm-hmm. which is really powerful. So right you know, before the students give feedback, you can say, why should you care about developing this skill? And you can have a little two to three minute video that motivates them to care. Mm -hmm. And then, okay, what the heck does good feedback look like? And so you can instruct them there. And so that's the next step that I think is really powerful is when we combine the micro learning in context with they learn and they do. And that really creates this rich experience. And a lot of the technologies can support this already so that from the instructor's perspective, the task is really to give them something to do. What is the composition? Book report, lab report, whatever it may be. Yeah. The students then take over. So that's the cool thing is this is student powered. It's yeah. what's called assessment as learning. You don't have to do much as an instructor through that second and third phase. And then eventually you grade the final product. And as you suggested, grade the feedback because right. the feedback is the oil in this machine and, and yeah. you want students to you know try to do that well. But it's gotten to a point where just about anybody can use this process in any context With minimum intimidation, I think, in the sense of saying, I know what I'm good at. I know what my subject area expertise is. If I give them a good assignment and then just let it continue through this, that'll do its thing. And the answer is, yeah, it'll do its thing. And your students will have this great, rich experience that will really set them up for future success.
0: Yeah, that's great. It takes courage to change your practice, but it's the good news is there are people like Steve and others out there who can help you navigate this. There's technologies that are emerging that that really can help solve this problem. And a lot of these technologies are scalable. Getting back to your previous point, Steve, that like a lot of these things work even better when you start to hit a critical mass uh, of students who can lean in on this. So plenty to chew on. Uh, There will be a refrigerator magnet on its way to Steve. Hopefully our listeners enjoyed. Send us some feedback on this show. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, Steve, thanks again for joining.
1: Thank you. Always a pleasure,
0: Yeah. And for our listeners, hopefully you enjoyed uh, what you heard. If you liked it, tell a friend, subscribe, share the love. We'll be back again soon. This is Trending in Education.